Welcome to the Half Boards. I'm Kyle Crichet, and this is episode 28. Uh, remember to follow the show on Twitter at the Half Boards 19, uh, or on Facebook, ser- search up the Half Boards Show. Uh, give the page a like. Uh, we post all the shows up there, articles, uh, other stuff like that. Uh, Twitter, same kind of thing going on. We'll retweet uh, some stuff we think is relevant to the show, uh, and post some some visuals and stuff, stuff like hero charts, other things like that. Uh, that might help aid the content that we uh, talk about in the show. But let's move right into it, because yesterday was one of the craziest days for hockey that I can remember in a long, long time. Uh, In a window of about 30 minutes, we had three major, major things happen. So let's start right away with the first one. Uh, Taylor Hall has been traded to the New Jersey Devils for defenseman Adam Larson. Now, if you're like most people, you may not initially recognize the name Adam Larson. You, you for certain, uh, if you're someone who takes the time to listen to a hockey podcast, you've probably heard of Taylor Hall. Adam Larson, though, uh, he's 23 years old. He was the fourth overall pick in the 2011 draft. If you remember back to that, that was another one of the drafts where the Oilers actually had the first overall pick where they took Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, last couple seasons he's been okay uh career best 24 points in 2014 2015 uh as early as two seasons ago he was sent uh relegated back to the ahl for for rather poor play um that season if you remember taylor hall actually netted uh 80 points uh so I think the the biggest thing most people have been talking about is just how incredibly lopsided this trade at least seems to be from from just the outside looking in. Uh, Taylor Hall, as we all know, uh, elite when it comes to to left wingers in the NHL. Uh, Hall sits at 328 points in 381 games. Uh, Another statistic in 5 versus 5. So 5-on-5, five five, even strength, points per 60 minutes. So um, this is a good stat. Point, points per 60, uh, a great way to measure what a player is actually producing. Uh, instead of points per game, it, it takes into account the, the idea that you know some players aren't going to play as many minutes as other players. So points per 60 minutes of play that Taylor Hall is on the ice, he actually ranks third of anyone in the NHL since 2012 only Sidney Crosby and Jamie Benn have a better five on five points per 60 than Taylor Hall number four Ryan Getzlaff number five Tyler Sagan another player who was traded by uh, Peter Shirelli in what people consider a terrible deal um so we we obviously know Taylor Hall as well you know last season coming off 65 points been on just the tire fire that has been the Oilers for the last few seasons. 
but one of the few consistent bright spots. You know, we've seen Eberly go up and down. We feel like we don't really know what Eberly is anymore between injuries and just how bad that team's been. Uh, Nuge, you know, had a huge role on the Oilers. You know, he's at 1C for a long time, clocking a ton of minutes. But again, nothing that that said he was he was terrible or fantastic either way. Taylor Hall to me was really the only consistent player that team has had. Now he as well has had has some share of injuries, but he seems to have be less injury prone than than he was when he initially came into the league, uh, and and just an offensive threat from from everywhere. Uh, I felt real bad for the kid when he got traded. A lot of those kind of exit interviews with the local media and stuff. Uh, It's the good and bad, you know. It's the bad because, like he said, he said Edmonton was taken away from me. Uh, You know, he essentially sat through all of the worst, most awful parts of that Oilers franchise we can think of over the last six years. And just when maybe things were starting to turn a corner, you know, they got McDavid. Dreisaitl had a breakout year last year. Things looked like they were finally maybe turning around. He gets shipped off. Uh, Now, if I'm the Devils, I'm incredibly stoked because this kid's got a chip on his shoulder. He's going to want to come there and... uh, you know, prove prove everyone wrong. Who's, which, you know, it's kind of th- it's like who does he really have to prove? He's already proven. I think that's the biggest the biggest issue I have with this trade. Taylor Hall is already proven. He's already proven he is a number one left winger on any team in the NHL. Produces at an elite level. I put him in top five, potentially even top three left wingers in the NHL. Period. In terms of just goal scoring prowess. Um, you look at Adam Larson, and I think the biggest thing for everyone when they saw the trade breaking, which was rather slowly, because I think even the the TSN insiders and and the analysts and stuff like that didn't believe that this was going to be a one for one trade. Like maybe this trade makes sense if it's Taylor Hall for Adam Larson, a first round pick and maybe another, say, depth-forward prospect. Uh, a little more of a well-rounded deal, but I think the one-for-one one is just is just brutal. I think, yes, maybe Larson can be that piece, but, man, that, he was drafted in 2011. Like five, There's been five drafts since then. You, you kind of have a pretty good idea uh, of what this guy is going to be, and he sure as shit isn't going to, you know, break out in it. What defensemen have we seen go to Edmonton to get better? It it just doesn't happen. Like they don't have the other pieces to make that happen. Now, maybe initially I was thinking, you know, maybe just maybe because I want to give it the benefit of the doubt. Maybe Adam Larson. I haven't looked close enough. Maybe he's an advanced stat wizard or something. Maybe there's something there in the numbers. Uh, that that I'm not seeing with with just the eye test because uh, I, I will admit I watch very very few New Jersey Devils games, uh, so I I don't really have a great grasp on the kid. But even the the basics like the five on five Corsi, his his is actually worse than Taylor Hall. He he's sitting at about a 47 percent to Taylor Hall's 49 percent, and and that's with Taylor Hall playing number one minutes against tough, tough competition in the Western Conference. This is Adam Larson, who's already a sheltered defenseman, playing 
in an Eastern Conference, which is much easier to play in. And still, this is this is also numbers since 2012. So that includes when the Metropolitan Division was also a joke that he was playing in, and the Devils were one of the best teams in that division for, for a brief period when they made their Stanley Cup final appearance against L.A. So this is a guy who is sheltered, playing against lesser competition, and doing it in the Eastern Conference, and he still has worse possession numbers than Taylor Hall. And that doesn't even count. That's just straight five on five. That doesn't count Taylor Hall's power play stuff. That doesn't count anything else like that. That is just strictly five on five play. Line one for Taylor Hall versus line one of, say, L.A. You know, that's that's numbers Taylor Hall's putting up against Kopitar, against Taves, against Thornton. You know, Adam Larson's putting up numbers that, you know, against Darren Helm or, or someone like that in the Eastern Conference. You know, the New York Rangers' third line. Like, that's... This this trade, to me, is just absolutely brutal. The return was god-awful. I know Peter Shirelli said, oh, this is the price you have to pay to in his press conference, but that's, that's not the price you have to pay. You got fleece. You can't tell me that there weren't 10 other GMs in the NHL being like, God damn, we could have put a way better package than that together for Taylor Hall. Like, it's, it's just... It's almost like watching Boston a few years ago operate again. Like, I don't know if people have ever seen it, but there's there's a show called Behind the Bee, and it's kind of Boston's own little YouTube show that uh, follows the team. It gets even in even in management meetings, stuff like that. It's everywhere. And this show was around when Shirelli made the Tyler Sagan trade. Now, if you can find that episode on YouTube, I'm going to try and link it on, on Twitter and on uh, on Facebook. If you can find that episode, you can see him starting the dealings with, with trading Tyler Sagan. And at one point, he almost takes a deal for Tyler Sagan that involves essentially only prospects and picks. So we already see the Tyler Sagan trade as god-awful and completely unnecessary. And that's with Louis Erickson, who scored 30 goals last season. And we still remark on how lopsided that trade is. Now think if Shirelli had almost taken that trade for picks and prospects, he would have got fired even faster than he did in Boston. I honestly thought when Edmonton hired Shirelli, I was like, wow, great hire, this is the guy to do it, but now I'm just here scratching my head, and you see the warnings, you see the Tyler Sagan deals, you see, you know, all this, just these small little mistakes culminating, and then boom, just these blow-ups, like, just weird things like how how does David Krejci make more money than Patrice Bergeron? How does Tyler Sagan go for one player and the rest of that deal, all those guys are gone? Like, you know, Riley Smith, piece of that trade, traded for Jimmy Hayes. Riley Smith put up 28 goals last season and eight points in the first round of the playoffs. Jimmy Hayes was a healthy scratch as the Boston Bruins got fleeced in the final game of the season, pushing them out of the playoffs after they had been gifted by a loss by the Red Wings to just walk right in. So, Shirelli, man, I'm shaking my head here. I don't know what he was thinking. This is a brutal trade now. This will be a brutal trade in five years from now, barring that Adam Larson 
turns into Drew Doughty or something in the in the next two years, which I don't think is going to happen. Oh, it's just like mind-blowing. And you're probably sitting there thinking, man, my team could have used Taylor Hall. So could have mine. You know, it's... And if that's all it took, you can only help but wonder. But, man, those some sneaky teams in the Metro this summer, like the way Carolina fleeced Chicago for Tievo Teravainen, and now we got the Devils fleecing the Oilers here, bringing in Taylor Hall. And they've got some decent stuff coming. Great draft this year. Michael McLeod in the first round. That's the player I wanted my team to draft. That's for damn sure. Great player from the Mississauga Steelheads. They got Pavel Zaka, who's probably going to make the team next year. There's some gems there. And they have Corey Schneider, another team they absolutely fleeced for an all-star player. They traded the eighth overall pick. That's it. That's it for Corey Schneider, who's putting up Vesna style numbers for most of the the season last season and is the only reason in a year when the Devils are trying to tank that they can't even get into the bottom five because he's so goddamn good even though that defense is brutal on that team so man but Shirelli did have one thing going for him it's that all hell broke loose almost immediately after somewhat overshadowing how dummy of a move that was that he had made trading Taylor Hall So let's move right into the next trade, which also has me scratching my head. Uh, This one I may have to argue a little bit more because I've actually seen some people say like, oh, it's a a pretty fair deal, or even the other way being like, oh, no, Montreal really, really won this one. No, there's absolutely no argument and no chance of that. That was the trade where P.K. Subban was sent to the Nashville Predators. Let's just start with some real basic numbers, because even the most basic numbers uh, will, will have you scratching your head. P.K. Subban, 27 years old, signed until 2020 at a $9 million cap hit. Not bad. That's an expensive defenseman for sure, $9 million. But I don't think there's anyone who can argue that he's not one of the best 10 defensemen in the NHL. Uh, in contrast, that three years older, Shea Weber, million cap hit. Now, this is where it gets insane. So, P.K. Subban is signed to 2022. Shea Weber is signed to 2026. He will be 41 years old. 41. Making $7.85 million on that roster. Now, you're saying Shea Weber, yes. uh, Olympic gold, uh, you know... Plays the game rough and tough. One of the best defensemen in the NHL. I would disagree, though. I would say at a time, yes, he was. And I still think on most teams right now, this year, he could slot in as, as a one-pairing D. But even if even if I settle here with you and say Shea Weber and P.K. Subban are equal right now, the main factor in that is that one is trending upwards while the other is trending down quite clearly Shea Weber is trending down his best years are behind him P.K. Subban is only getting better over the last three seasons P.K. Subban has 164 points that's 0.7 points per game he's averaging in contrast to Shea Weber's 152 points over the last three seasons uh, at about a 0.64 point per game pace uh P.K. Subban, uh, he hit 60 points last year, but he only played 68 games. 
Shea Weber, in contrast, in his career has never hit 60 points in a single season, ever. And PK did it last year in 68 games. That's insane. He missed some games at the end of the season there. PK did uh, with that weird neck injury, if you remember him getting stretchered off. Before that, he had missed one game in four seasons. One game. He has a, this guy is durable. He is a big-time offensive threat, second only to Eric Carlson in the entire NHL. He was scoring at almost a point-per-game pace last season uh, when everyone was complaining about making the Nets bigger and how we need more scoring uh, and everything is boring. Uh, the NHL is getting younger and faster, and the emphasis is on speed and skating, and Shea Weber is not a guy who you go, Shea Weber, yeah, hell of a skater. No, but P.K. Subban is. The way that guy moves, the way he cuts and turns, gets himself out of situations. He creates havoc and chaos on the ice purely by just being the fastest and best player out there at any time. And now if you go and look into points per 60 minutes among defensemen who have played a thousand minutes. So, you know, this is not, you know, your defenseman who played a couple games last season. These are guys with real NHL time. P.K. Subban is number 10 in points per 60 minutes. Shea Weber doesn't even crack the top 15. He clocks in at 18th. Uh, now, P.K. Subban, there's a lot of guys in there he could probably catch. Uh, now, the other disadvantage, he clocks big-time minutes. Like, he's not playing as many minutes. But he is a undisputed top pairing. Now, Montreal got spread out a little more. Nashville will be consistent as well just because their defense is so insanely good. Uh, but you'll say, okay, P.K. Subban, sure. He, uh, he scores a lot of points. He's great on the power play. He's got that big shot. Uh, but Shea Weber, you know... Uh, he, he does everything else better. Wrong. You would be wrong again that Shea Weber does everything else better. Does Shea Weber maybe do some things better? Yeah. Is If you're Don Cherry, I'm sure Shea Weber does everything better for you than P.K. Subban. But when you look at the a actual numbers, it's not there. Corsi rating in 2016, last season, P.K. 52%. Shea Weber, 51. Now you're like, ah, that's pretty close. But if you look from 2012 to 2016, 52%. P.K. Subban, 49%. Shea Weber. Shea Weber's not even on the positive side of possession numbers. P.K. Subban is, and quite comfortably, a 1% or 2% difference makes a huge, huge amount of, of really understanding what these players are doing out there. Like, you add 2% onto 50 on PK Subban's 52% possession average over the last 3 seasons and you bump it up to 54 suddenly he is a juggernaut when it comes to possession so when we say there's only 1% difference between uh, uh PK and Weber last season that's actually a pretty big difference and and the 3% difference from 2012 to 2016 that's a massive difference that's big time uh, now, goals for 60, P.K. Subban, he wins there again, 2.78 to Shea Weber's 2.36. Uh, now, the goals for percentage, this means this is a, a statistic which takes, uh, you know, how often you, you your team scores when you're on the ice compared to how often your team gets scored against. So that sounds like a very defensive statistic to me because it kind of botches that argument for people like, well, Shea Weber is the better actual defenseman. Ah, well, in reality, the goal for percentage is 54.37% for P.K. Subban, while it's only 50.38% for Shea Weber. Uh, 
which means P.K. Subban has a, a, a rather large advantage and, and also proves with just some numbers that good things are happening for his whole team when he is on the ice compared to P, uh, Shea Weber's, you know, even 50%. Uh, P.K. Subban, when you look at the hero charts now, if you've never seen a hero chart before, go onto our Twitter, go onto our Facebook page. You'll get to see them. Essentially what this tool is, is a, 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 a stat uh, visual that allows you to take two players, compare them side by side. But not only just those two players, it takes their data and it inputs it and it puts it against all their peers. So all of, so let's say, possession numbers. It'll take uh, P.K. Subban's Corsi 4 and it will compare it to every other defenseman in the NHL's Corsi 4. And then it'll give you a readout saying this percentile of possession number is consistent with a first-pairing defenseman or a second-pairing defenseman or a third-pairing defenseman. Uh, now, if you look at the hero chart, which I'm going to post on, on both the Facebook page and the, and the Twitter, you will see that P.K. Subban is better in almost every single category on that hero chart than Shea Weber is. He generates more shots. He suppresses more shots by a long shot. And if you look at the bar that, that dictates possession there, you'll just see how much of a monster P.K. Subban is in comparison to Shea Weber. And that's monstrous numbers, even when rated among all of his peers. That's that's in, in contention with Duncan Keith, with Drew Doughty, with everybody. He still ranks in the upper, upper echelon in a lot of those categories. From just a personnel standpoint, uh, Nashville wins this by, by a landslide. They got the better player. That's undisputed. PK7, PK7, <laughs> PK Subban is only 27. He's only getting better. He's trending upwards. He's only under contract till 2022. So you got the term, but not too long that you know you're gonna wish you had cut it off. Uh, he's an offensive threat. He's a possession monster. Uh, everything is falling in line for this Nashville team right now. Their top four defensemen are probably the four, the best group of four defensemen there is in the NHL. Pecorine, the clock's ticking. He still should have a couple, maybe two, three great seasons in him. The time to win is now. They got their 1C, Ryan Johansson. They locked up their star, Philip Forsberg, for an amazing 6 by 6 deal. James Neal can still put the puck in the net. Everything is slowly trending and working in the favor of the Nashville Predators here. And so that's just strictly from a personnel standpoint. But even from a team money management standpoint, they also win. Yes, you're paying a little bit more money, $1.2 million. Wow, what a difference. But you're only paying that to 2022, and you're getting the best years out of that pe player. You're paying Shea Weber until 2026, $7.85 million. And you didn't even get his best years. You're getting his 30-plus years, which we know, statistically speaking, defensemen just fall off a cliff after age 33, roughly. But yes, there are some anomalies, for sure. I will definitely acknowledge that. But is Shea Weber going to be one of them? We don't know. We know for sure P.K. Subban is great and phenomenal right now. So you don't even win on the personnel standpoint, and you especially don't win when it comes to dollars. Want to hear another crazy, insane statistic? Montreal's top four defensemen. So that gives you Emelin, Markov, Shea Weber now. That core of four guys costs $23.2 million. $23.2 Now, 
that's also with Markov, his contract expiring at the end of next season. So in one year, that core is going to be broken up again. It's going to have to have a new guy, which they don't have anyone in their system who can make that jump anytime soon. Uh, So they're going to be going out to the market again. So they're probably going to be spending even more money uh, come the end of next year. So $23.2 million. Do you know how much money Nashville's defense is between Ellis, Ekholm, Yossi, and now P.K. Subban? $19.25 million. It's $4 million less to have the Nashville defense than it is to have the Montreal defense. How batshit insane is that? And even crazier, the only person that needs a contract anytime soon in Nashville is Ryan Ellis in 2020. That means not only is this just a young, fantastic blue line that's affordable because guys are on entry-level contracts. No, they're all under contract. They all have term. They're all putting up insane numbers. Roman Yossi should have been the front runner for the Norris Trophy two seasons ago. If you go to that website that we're going to link to on Facebook and Twitter, the, the Hero Charts, go search Ryan Ellis's, Matthias Ekholm's, and Roman Yossi's Hero Charts and just watch your jaw drop. Those players are absolutely phenomenal. Some of the, This is how I know people weren't really watching certain series in the, in the playoffs last year because Ekholm was probably the best defenseman on the ice for both rounds uh, that Nashville played. And that's saying a lot. It was basically Ekholm versus, versus Burns in that San Jose series. But in that first series against the Ducks, Ekholm absolutely dominated. Five-on-five play, blocking shots, generating shots, power play play. Imagine taking off Shea Weber and Roman Yossi and getting more production out of Matthias Ekholm and being able to use those players in more valuable roles. Now you got PK Subban playing on the first unit. You got Matthias Ekholm on the second unit. One of the few teams in the NHL, by the way, that uses two defensemen on their power play. That's how good their defense core is. They can just roll their regular pairings and they're such a threat in every every end, every zone that 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 they're still one of the best power play back ends you can have out there. So not only is it $4 million less to have that core now, uh, you know, it's it's much better. It's undisputably better. I, I honestly can't name a defensive core in the NHL that I would take before that. Maybe St. Louis's. And even still, I think that's a great battle between Petrangelo, Bo Meester, uh, Shattenkirk, who will probably be gone anyway. And Pareko. Like, even still, you take Shattenkirk out of that equation, then Nashville absolutely wins again. Uh, and even with him in, you know, it's like, ugh, I'd, take, I'd take any of those four before I'd take Jay Bomeister. Uh, that's for damn sure. And I think Ekholm and Ellis bring more that, that you need to round out that defensive core than, than Pareko does at this moment uh, in terms of, of how that kid has progressed. Uh, not a knock, obviously. He, he's young. He's only going to get better. But goddamn, is that defensive core ever, ever fantastic? And I am truly, truly jealous uh, that any team can assemble something like that. Now that'll be uh, interesting for expansion as well, because we know you can do the the six or seven forwards and three defense protection, or you can just take the eight skater option. Uh, I think Nashville might probably be one of the few, if not the only team, to take the eight skater option because I think you got to protect all four of those defensemen because all four of those are 
irreplaceable, incredible parts of that lineup and something you don't want to just give away, especially with how fantastic those contracts are that all of them are signed to. So the other kind of aspect we didn't talk about, so we know Montreal definitely lost in terms of just player skill. We know that they lost in terms of of money management and are going to continue to lose, especially when Markov's up. Uh, But even just saving face with with your own your own franchise like yes we know people were saying oh you know pk suban he's a real he's a real problem in the room he's a real distraction too bad you just gotta make it work that's as as simple as it as it gets he is elite he's one of the best in the nhl you make it work no matter what how in major sports media is P.K. Subban an issue in the room that's so bad that he needs to be traded out of there, but Patrick Kane is a goddamn stand-up citizen? Like, that's just what I don't get about all of this. And Montreal has just had a target on P.K.'s back from the early days when Hal Gill was talking smack when he was just a jealous over-the-hill defenseman, uh, you know, to every single season we just hear bull between Terrian and Bergevin and, and watching Bergevin lie through his teeth that he wasn't going to trade pk suban and you know the day before two days before his no move clicks in you you dish him well i'm glad they got fleece because they absolutely deserve it um my heart goes out to any any montreal canadian fans out there you had a shit season to deal with last year and now you get this slap in the face from a coach and arguably at this point a gm who should also be fired two guys who should be fired probably had a pretty big impact on this decision and now you're you're set there to suffer with it. Sure, you know, it won't seem that bad one, two years from now. Shea Weber on the blue line, maybe that leadership will be all right. He's buds with Carey Price. But Christ, four, five years from now, it's going to be just awful as you're watching PK hoist the Stanley Cup or, you know, win another Norris Trophy. Like, this is a guy who won the Norris Trophy before he's 25 years old. What are you even doing thinking about trading him? It's just insane. It's absolutely insane. Uh, I'm getting frustrated just talking about it because I can't even comprehend what it would take. If my GM traded PK Subban, I, I would be done. It would be over. I would be. I would pack up the jerseys. I'd take them to the local Goodwill. I'd bring them to the cottage this weekend as we celebrate Canada Day. And I'd burn the shit out of those pieces of garbage because there's no trade on planet Earth that could possibly be worth it. And if the trade ended up being as bad as that's going to be for just Shea Weber straight up, oh, I'd drop dead myself or something. Like, this is just absolutely mind-boggling. I just, I, I honestly struggle in thinking that, yes, right now the Taylor Hall trade is worse, but I think we're going to look back on this and be like, wow, they got fucking fleece for pk suban i think that's how we're gonna look at this in in five or six years not that now yes taylor hall trade mind-boggling but you know down the road it's gonna be this pk suban trade oh speaking of other things so that was about it took us what half an hour to cover like literally 10 minutes of news yesterday things were just popping off uh, but that was capped off by an even better crazy things happen in three apparently because Steven Stamkos, despite what Leafs Nation said, despite what the Red Wings thought they were going to do, 
despite the truckloads of money Buffalo was going to throw his way, Steven Samkos had made the decision that if we could all step back for a second, makes the most sense on so many levels. Now, see, our, our perceptions of this are very, are very flawed. And, and, and I want to argue that the, our perceptions of this uh, event are flawed because of the last time we had an event like this. And I don't actually think it was a player. My argument is that the last event like this, because it involves a, a big-time massive name on the market that people thought would never get there, um, and it involves one of the major players in, in this rumor of, of where Steven Stamkos was going to go, I honestly think the Mike Babcock signing distorted our perception uh, of what is important to, to people in the NHL. Because Mike Babcock went... When, when the talks were happening... It, you remember, you know, he started the season with the Red Wings in his final year, and the talks were, were moderate. They're like, well, you know, I know Toronto's going to make a push, but it doesn't seem logical. They're, they're so far away uh, from being any good. They just started their tanking. Uh, the year after, Connor McDavid is in the draft. Very smart move. Uh, and they, uh, you know, there's so many factors here. And yes, they can offer a lot of money, but, you know, everything else is so terrible that why why would he do it? And then the perspective started to shift as, as time went on. And then when he actually signed in Toronto, it was like, oh, okay, the, the two main factors there were, yes, number one, money, but number two, ego. We, we, we've known for a while that Mike Babcock, and quite honestly, I think it's warranted. I think he is one of the best coaches in the NHL. I will say that. I don't think he's the best, but I think he is one of the best. He's got the Olympic golds. He's got the Stanley Cups. He is truly elite. Uh, now, so having a bit of an ego, it's you know, it sounds like I, I'm dissing him, but it, it's obviously an an earned and deserved ego. But no one really thought that the ego was that big that he thought he could be the man to bring a Stanley Cup to Toronto to do what no one thought was possible to to return to Westeros and take the Iron Throne, if you will. Uh, but then all of a sudden he was locked in and he was locked in for eight years and he was the highest paid coach in the NHL by almost double what the second highest person makes and people thought, holy shit, he did. He did go for it. He did do it. So I think that when the Steven Stamco stuff came along, people were like, well, yeah, it's going to be the most money uh, and he's going to have the most glory. He will be the biggest hockey player playing in Canada. Uh, he will be the man to lead this rebuild to a Stanley Cup. This, 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 ego, money, ego, money. And in the end, it turned out to be neither. And I have to really give credit to Steven Stamkos because ego and money could have went to all these destinations. Should he have chosen Detroit, it would have also been ego and money. He was also going to be making $10.5 million, probably $10 million bucks if he signed Detroit. And the ego being that he is the undisputed number one center. He gets his way, which we knew was a point of contention with John Cooper. He was playing the wing a lot. He wanted to play center. That was a big issue. Um, so, again, Detroit as well. Not just Toronto. I'm not trying to just pick on Toronto here. But Detroit as well, he would have had ego and the money thrown at him. Now, Buffalo is a little bit dicier because 
obviously the money is there. The the reports apparently were saying they were ready to throw just the world at Steven Stamkos. But then there was the other ego factor of like, well, he might not want to go there because who wants to be second fiddle to Jack Eichel? Because Jack Eichel is that future of that team. He will be Stamkos level uh, pretty soon in Buffalo. So does he want to end up playing second fiddle to some kid? But no. Steven Stamkos saw it rationally and saw it logically. Now, $8.5 million, it seems like a discount compared to what was out there. But there are tons of articles online. You know, he's paying no state tax on that. He's getting the full $8.5 million. He's making bank no matter what. And more bank with Tampa Bay, not only because of the tax, but they could sign him to eight years if he went to the free market Due to the, the NHL CBA, uh, other teams could only sign him for seven. So he got that additional year of security. He got the big bucks without the tax. But also, he gets to play somewhere where they're going to win soon. Like Tampa Bay is an elite team. They have cup finals two years ago, conference final this year. You know, if they had a full healthy squad, they played in that conference final without Ben Bishop and without Steven Stamkos, and they took the Pittsburgh Penguins to seven games. They did to Pittsburgh what no other team in the NHL could do, and Pittsburgh stonewalled and just rolled over the San Jose Sharks in that com- in that Stanley Cup final. So to say that. They are true Stanley Cup competitors is is no hyperbole at all. They are legitimately, especially of those four teams that we're talking about, the closest to winning a Stanley Cup. How many times have we seen, how many Jerome McGinley's and Joe Thornton's are we going to see where they, well, I guess Jerome McGinley's the better example. As a guy who bounced around searching for that cup glory uh, and, and just, you know, could never find it. Now, Steven Samkos has a shot here to get it to win with this group and he's going to take it and I I have to praise him for that big time because he could have just been the ego guy and went to the biggest dollar amount you know he could have phoned it in wherever he wanted he could have been on every Canadian Tire commercial from now till you know 2025 uh, you know just making bank that way too but he chose to stay he chose a, a, a deal that allows his team to keep the personnel they need around, at least for a little bit. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about what the implications of him re-signing are for some other guys on that team. But, you know, he took a shot to win. And uh, through all of this, I think I think slowly over the years, we saw him quietly uh, work his magic. But goddamn, did Steve Eisman ever just absolutely work a masterpiece here stuck to his guns he never flexed once he put the deal on the table that was going to make sense for the team while keeping their franchise player and he stuck to it all the way up to june 29th he didn't flex once for steven sam that that eight and a half million dollar offer that was the offer they gave him months ago uh, way earlier in the season that he could have signed and that's the deal he takes on june 29th Steve Eisman is a goddamn wizard, and I hope it keeps up because he's going to have a lot, a lot of stuff to work through uh, in this next year and a half. Another little wrench in the system, if you remember from this last playoff run, Nikita Kucherov was one of the best players for Tampa Bay, uh, one of the best goal scorers in the playoffs through the first two rounds. He is a restricted free agent, so he is not under contract right now either. So even with the, the Stamkos signing, they also have to get Kucherov and Kalorn and Nesterov under contract. 
so that that's going to be a dicey situation. Now, the other triplets, Plot and Johnson, both took $3 million two-year bridge deals. They're almost identical deals uh, out of their entry-level contracts. Kucherov has put up better numbers than both of them put up in those seasons. But if he goes with the team trends, uh, you know, follows the lead of his captain, Steve Stamkos, taking the, you know, the pay cut technically on paper to stay, uh, maybe he takes a similar deal as well and, and can really, you know, make bank when, when that time comes after that bridge deal is up. But all eyes will be on Tampa Bay, who also bought out Matt Carl today. So that does free up some cap space. Because as we know, Victor Hedman is a UFA next season. That's going to be big-time dollars. Uh, but all, so is Ben Bishop. Uh, but I think Ben Bishop, that's probably going to free up $6 million. We've heard his name in trade rumors. Uh, and he, even if not, he walks as a UFA. You let him go. You have your 1-2 in waiting. Vasilevsky is undisputably uh, an NHL goaltender. He played great in the playoffs for them when Bishop went out with that injury this season. And Guzlevskis, if you remember from the Olympics, where Canada pumped him with 60-something shots and only won that game 1-0. That's their backup, who's also ready to go as a backup in the NHL. So, you know, losing Ben Bishop is going to free up that money. There's going to be... There's going to be some pain. They're going to lose some guys. They're going to lose a Kalorn or a Palat or a Johnson. Uh, you know, all those guys up in the next two years. Uh, but we'll see what kind of magic they can work. Uh, well, that was a pretty opinion-based episode. Uh, that was a nuts, just an absolutely nuts 30 minutes. I was at work just losing my mind, working with an Oilers fan who's just... It was funny because I was, I was almost taunting him with the Taylor Hall trade. And, 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 you know, he, he was just stone-faced and nothing was getting to him. And he's like, the, the thing you got to remember is he's like, I've been, an, I've been an Oilers fan for decades. He's like, I would be surprised if they didn't make a dumbass trade like this. This is just more of what I've seen for the last 10 years. So why would I assume that anything was going to be different this year? So, um, you know, you can tell that fan base has, has been going through some, some growing pains. And, uh... Thankfully, they are just so numb right now that uh, hopefully this trade doesn't even really affect them because it's just more of what they've seen there in Edmonton. Um, Anyways, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking out the episode. Uh, Please share this uh, on your Facebook page, via Twitter, whatever you use. Uh, If you're an iTunes user, head to the iTunes store and uh, give it a rating out of five. Uh, check us out twitter the half boards 19 facebook just search up the half board show we'll send some links out to hero charts there and you can check it out it's a fun tool to use uh fun to just pass the time compare players especially when a trade goes down uh we'll we'll be back with another episode uh after the long weekend here happy canada day to people in canada uh happy independence day to the united states there on july 4th uh but after the long weekend we'll come back with uh taking a look at free agency uh, if I'm calling it now, I'm saying some big-time mistakes are going to be made in free agency, especially with Stamkos, Yandel, and Goligoski, three of the best UFAs off the board before the day even starts. Uh, I, I can't wait to see the amount of dollars uh, that the Edmontoners throw at Milan Lucic. I think there's some other ticking time bombs out there. Uh, Andrew Ladd specifically is going to get too much money. I think Kyle Poso is probably going to get too much money just because Stamkos is off the board now. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of teams. I know with my team, I'm hoping they just stay put. Don't do anything irrational or stupid. 
Uh, we'll see though. The the only the player I'm most interested in watching uh, is Franz Nielsen because I think that guy adds some real depth and value, power play specialist, but also plays a two way game. We'll see though. The rumors are he was talking in the six million dollar range. I think that's too much money. But if someone locks this guy up for four, four and a half, even five million, I think that may be a value signing. That, that we might not see the effects of until one or two seasons in and be like, wow, damn, like similar to Anton Strauman. At the time, they're like, Anton Strauman, who cares? And then two, three years later, like, wow, Tampa Bay signed a top-pairing defenseman for $4.5 million out of free agency that nobody else seemed to understand his potential. Wow, that was a great move. I think Franz Nielsen has the potential to be that guy in this round, so keep an eye on it. Uh, hit us up on Twitter and Facebook with your reactions, too, uh, for Canada Today uh, on July 1st there. And if there's something that shocked you, something that you think's a good deal, post it up on there and uh, maybe we'll talk about it on the show. Anyways, I'm Kyle Crichet. Thanks for listening. Keep your stick on the ice, and we'll see you soon.